I'm Shelby Earle, and you're listening to the Monarch Review Podcast. Hey, pretty baby, are you ready for me? Yeah, it's a good rockin' daddy down from Tennessee. I'm just that off from back from San Antonio with a radio blasting in the bird dog gone. And welcome to the Monarch Review Podcast. The Monarch Review is a really great uh, online and... um, In print, really, really great. You should say really a couple more times. Really, really, really Uh great uh, publication that Mr. Jake Udy sort of has a big involvement with. My name Mm -hmm. is Sean, and this is Jake over here. Hi. And we're listening to, uh, well, we've got Shelby Earl here in studio as well. Hello. Welcome, Shelby. Hello. Thank you. Shelby, I wanted to ask you before we, uh, or right when we got started, uh, what is it like being the daughter of a really famous musician like Steve <laughs> Earl? And have you, have you heard this joke before? Right. Rumor, oh, yeah. rumor has it. That it's, it's usually the first question. No offense. Is it really? Oh, oh yeah. Damn it. Oh, yeah. Often. Oh, so this is very any, unoriginal. We're going to edit well, this. The, the question is often any relation. Oh, yeah. But here's the difference, you guys. Are they sincere when they ask that? Oh, yeah, but uh-huh. no E on the end. Um, I've got no E on the end. Right. That's true. That we we conveniently true. edited that out in our minds so that we could do this really <laughs> funny joke. Right. This was all Jake's idea. Uh-huh. So if it falls flat, it's I came up with it around one in the morning. I was drinking some beers at the uh-huh. time, and apparently <laughs> it's a terrible joke. Um, but, you know, it's one of these things where, like, part of me would love to be related totally. to Steve and Justin. The other part of me is like, thank God. Cause, What's the thank God part? Yeah, I don't know a lot about Steve Earl. Oh boy! Yes, so well, drinkers. Steve and Justin. Yeah, heroin. Know, crash involved. and burn. Crash and burn. Did you watch The Wire? I've still never watched The Wire. Mm, one of those people who's never seen The Wire because he's amazing in the <laughs> he's amazing in The Wire and he's amazing in Treme too. Steve Earle is. Well, I believe it. I mean, he's got gravity. Mm-hmm. You know, he's that's one a good of way. To, yeah, <laughs> and he's amazing, and he's sober. He's clean and sober. He is sober, now. Now. and that's the character he plays in The Wire. He's like, oh. uh, so like he's a, an actor an as well. He's done a lot of things. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. Did not know that. I mean, he's known for being a songwriter and like a very Americana, very gritty, dark um, p- person. And then I think that that persona is translated into other art forms. Yeah. Well, the only song I've ever listened to him by him is the Guitar Town. I think I might have to check out more. But yeah. also, Shelby Earl is a musician. Mm-hmm. Shelby <laughs> Earl is plays, a musician. She plays music and sings. And we we've um, we didn't ask or we didn't get an answer um, when we sent, were sending emails. What are you up to right now, Shelby Earl? Well, uh, I'm home. I, I just did a tour, just a, a short sort of West Coast stint um, as support for the band Elliot Brood. Oh, cool. Great Canadian band. So that was really fun. Um, now I'm home. I've got 20 songs in my pocket. No kidding. Um, wow. And I'm trying to figure out how to make album number three. Yeah. Uh, and by how, I mean with whom. I, I just haven't quite developed my vision fully yet. So how do you go about record. doing that? Because um, I know you work with Damien Gerardo, Gerardo yes. on their last album, and it was awesome. And you guys recorded at the Columbia City Theater. and so, did. And you did it sort of live, it seemed like. We did. And it sounded really great. Thank um, you. So when you go about trying to produce a record, do you try to pick somebody and then and then email them, for example, like search them out? Or, or, or do you kind of wait to be... Um, approached or like do you pitch it like what is the process for you and when you put when you want to release a record well I've got two solo albums out and they both they each happened quite differently the first one I just started making with the help of friends 
And I was about six months into that process when John Roderick of the Long Winters oh, yeah. John's awesome. heard what I was doing and he was kind of saying, you know, you seem a little uncertain about what this is going to be ultimately. Can I help you? And I think he first said, uh, I could be an artistic advisor, quote unquote. <laughs> mm-hmm. And uh, what we did was we put some studio days on the calendar and went in together and started working on stuff. And we just had such a great dynamic and such a great time those three days. And I said to him, finally, let's call this what it is. You're producing and there's not another producer on this project. So um, let's take it all the way home. Right. So we did that. So we worked together for another six months. This is making my first record, Burn the Boats. With uh, Swift Arrows, that was quite a different process because basically I had some new songs and I had been obsessing on Damien Dorado's record, Maricopa. Uh And I didn't know Damien well. I think we'd only ever met sort of online, Twitter or whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, But obviously I was a fan and, and it seemed like he was familiar with what I was doing. So I emailed I emailed him and, and said, you just keep coming to mind and mm-hmm. I want to do what you do. <laughs> <laughs> and actually he was hysterical because when we did meet, I thought we, you know, we sat down over coffee and I thought it was going to be me saying, please make my record. Here's why. And he said, can I start this conversation? And I said, yeah. And he said, here's what we're going to do. That's cool. awesome. And he had this whole plan, but it was uh, it was a scary plan because, as you said, it was to do it live. Right. Yeah. So, so talk about that. So you were at Columbia City Theater. So did you just play essentially a live show as if, you know, Jake and I, we were going to come and see you play? Did you just set, go, get up there with your band and just play and record it? Is that how that we worked? Did, you know, that's actually what Damien does. Mm-hmm. He works with Richard Swift. Richard Swift produces his records now. And, I mean, with Maricopa specifically, he sat down in a room and played 18 songs in a row, just acoustically. And then they went back and added drums and backing vocals and all the overdubs. With me, we did about half of the songs that way, Mm -hmm. acoustic, live, in the room, although not in a row. I mean, we would, you know, do, and then yap, and then do another song, and then yap. But they're all first and second takes. And then that was the first day. That must be sort of liberating, because in a way, uh, I've, recording music before and sometimes you like labor over a track or an overdub or something like that but if you allow yourself just two takes then you kind of have to get it and then you have to move on mm-hmm. yeah which seems so important with uh, making art yeah absolutely and you know i think this next record a lot of people have said are you going to do the same thing again and you know i learned a lot there's a lot of that model that i'll carry forward because you definitely get an energy that it's hard to get if you've spent two weeks track layering and layering and tracking something and redoing and you know um at the same time i sometimes feel like my best take is my third or fourth one and so there were a few times where i went okay like i'm just gonna trust you man and and i do trust him and i had such wonderful time working with him but you know a couple songs where i'm like oh even now i wish i really oh really but you know it is it's so cool because it truly is a moment in time yeah you know, that record. So what we did, the first day we did all the acoustic versions of, or half the songs acoustic. Second day the band came in and we did what you were describing. So live in the room, vocals also in the room. They just had me way up on the balcony in Columbia City Theater and the rest of the band was down and sort of tucked. And, but it's crazy then when you go to mix a record because there's no taking anything out. Mm -hmm. I mean, 
we're all in each other's microphones yeah. and it's done and done. So do you like how the record turned out ultimately? I mean, you said there's a couple it. of songs where you're kind of like wish a few things may have been differently uh, differently recorded, but Yeah. I love it and I, it feels adventuresome, you know, like It's I, a great record. Thank you. Yeah, it's thank a really you very record. much. I mean, I it, We'll have to play some of it mm-hmm. since we didn't play we haven't played any of her music yet. Yeah. <laughs> Only Steve Earle. Uh-huh. Um it is interesting though because I you know, slaved over Burn the Boats and that was one where we tried, you know, tried and retried mm-hmm. and I sang things at different studios and did, you know, I'm interested, over and over. I'm interested in that difference. Like the idea of um, being a writer, let's say, and being very uh, laborious and like painstaking and like arching over this work and really <laughs> wanted to, it's like, it's my passion, it's my craft, it's my love yeah. versus a lot of people who just want to have like just just want to have fun but like not toss it off exactly but put it out there in the world out of themselves and then and then move on and that and that's yeah. that's that's it you know yeah. like um the way you're describing how you produce your second album um as an artist myself as a writer and as a musician i'm very interested in that in those two dynamics cuz you hear about authors who like oh i used to be uh, a dancer in a ballet and i just wrote a book about you know making food and like the, the, the she's she or he is not a very famous or well-known dancer, but the book is the number one bestseller, and it seems like it comes from a different place yeah. that's not such a laborious place. And so I w- I'm wondering how you feel about that as someone who uh, is a songwriter, and an excellent songwriter, and, and, Thank you. and uh, has, seems to have a lot of craft and a lot of, um, there's a lot of work that goes into, the, into what you produce, and it, it seems edited quite a bit in your own mind before you put it out. It seems like you're very concise and you have uh, very... Um, language that does a lot of stuff especially in the in the in the, in the verses yeah in the songwriting. well thank you and i and and you know damien that's his philosophy leans more toward uh i mean he said to me i don't want to hear the songs before we get in the studio mm-hmm. and i was like what but i want your help with pre-production i want you to tell me that they're good mm-hmm. essentially right, right. Yeah, you know uh, and he said no way this is your art you you better show up ready to go and like and that was such a great challenge. Like, don't be lazy. Just assume we'll fix it later or if it doesn't work fine. And that's not to take experimentation out of the studio part of it because we still did play around a lot. But he was like, these are your songs. So you better love them. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. You better feel good about them. And so then if you're approaching it that way, then why not sort of, you know, unhinge it a little bit and just throw it out there. Damien is very chill i mean he just finished his 12th record this week in a week uh-huh because he's like well this is what i just made Boop. yeah i wonder how long it took him to get comfortable with that process because i'm sure he he went through all the the troubleshooting and the the painstaking writing process early in his career and then he probably at some point he was like this is what works this is how i get the art out of me and then whatever happens with the work happens well he said to me in the studio he said listen it's taken me 10 records to yeah. figure out how to make a good record. Please let me save you some time. Uh-huh. That's awesome. <laughs> I remember chatting Which with him. Which I appreciate. And he talked about um, like this great AM radio quality that he likes to put on yes. his music, which I really like because yeah. I, I have that. Uh, I appreciate that aesthetic as a listener too. Yeah. Like sort of stripped down, a little bit grainy, a little bit like yeah. breaking up. And you know where it's the best, right? Mm. Vinyl. Uh-huh. Yes. We got, we got. You have a nice pink vinyl for your Swift Arrows I record. I do. Oh, cool. Uh-huh. I do, but the crazy thing was we did that six months later. Wow. I released that six months after I released the CD and digital, mm-hmm. and it was so funny because I got the test pressing of the vinyl back, and 
you know, went to listen to it, make sure it was okay. And I went, oh, oh my gosh, this sounds amazing. And my bandmate, Eric, was like, uh, yeah, that's the point. <laughs> I'm like, vinyl. It's not compressed. Like, no, but this sounds unbelievable. And Eric's like, yeah, Shelby, <laughs> that's why you do this. That's the whole point. But it sounds exactly like you're saying, like the production style that we used is meant to be listened to on vinyl because mm-hmm. live right. in the room and you know all the verb is natural verb in the room and that's mm-hmm. how all those old records were made and so it was it's very exciting it, to it's hear fun it. it's fun to watch it turn turn back into this vinyl production era like it seems like um 20 years have gone by and we, we sort of forgot about vinyl we yeah. focus more on tapes and cds and, it's, yes. and it it's seems to be coming back. back this type of quality and even people are releasing stuff on cassettes again which mm-hmm. i really enjoy which you especially enjoy because you were the mixtape man that really? True. Thank you, Jake. Um, I have a question for you, and it's okay. We'll talk about that later. <laughs> Sean is the king of mixtapes. He's gonna check Sean, out his tattoo on his arm for great radio. <gasps> oh my goodness! Yeah, yeah. I uh, I still make mixtapes. I mean, I'm I've made a mix CD here and there because some friends don't have tape players, and then I get rid of them as friends. I don't have them as friends <laughs> sure. anymore. Yeah. It's a goodbye mix it's CD. It's a goodbye right. mix. Yeah, it's a CeeLo, fuck you. Um, great song, right? Yeah, because I mean, what brand of person would not have a tape player at this point? Right. I mean, I just found my girl. <laughs> I just found my girlfriend a cassette tape player at a Value Village in Redmond. I made her a mix, and I finally found her a, a boombox. It seems like you should give tape players to friends who don't have tape players that you want to make mixes, mix CDs, mix, mix tapes for. That's what I did with Kimmy. Yeah, I gave her a cassette deck and a tape so she could listen Love to it. it. Um, but back to you, Shelby Earl. Um, there's a quote um, on your Facebook page. Ann Powers wrote a really nice thing about you. And there's a bit of it that I wanted to read. I have a question. It says, I'm writing this note to ask you to listen to an album by a friend. Shelby Earl is a singer-songwriter with a sharp pen and a sumptuous voice who took a while to fully uncover her own talent. So what does she mean by that, um, to fully uncover your own talent? Um, where were you You know, as you were trying to sort of decide maybe, what am I going to be? Do I want to do this music thing? Do I want to work? At EMP, you worked there right. for a while, yeah. right? Which so, is how I know Anne. Okay, so yeah, so first off, I guess who is Anne? Yes. And and what does she mean by that? Well, Anne Powers is a super badass music journalist. She worked at the Village Voice for many years. Um, LA Week. She was the music editor at the LA Weekly or the LA Times. Excuse me. Difference. There's a difference there. <laughs> and is now, <clears throat> excuse me, at NPR. So she's one of the music editors at NPR. And she's just a powerful, smart lady, but she lived in Seattle for many years working at Experience Music Project as a curator, and I was there booking shows. So our teams worked very closely together because we would, you know, curate, quote-unquote, shows to go with the exhibits and vice versa. So I got to know her through those years. And at the time, I was in a band uh, called The Hope, and I was the front person. That's in quotes. (laughs) You guys can't see me. I was just the singer uh-huh. in quotes and my bandmate uh had a, a and best friend still uh has a double masters in music theory and composition so as you can imagine she drove right in terms of songwriting and i just sang again in quotes no offense <laughs> to the singers but i really felt kind of boxed in mm-hmm. there and so Anne knew me through those years And I didn't know if I could write. And then I also didn't feel like I had the opportunity because we were pretty involved in this band and, you know, made a record and we're kind of going for it on that front. And and 
So, you know, we all have things that we imagine doing or think, gosh, I wish I could do that, Mm -hmm. but I probably can't. And for me, writing songs was one of those things. And so it wasn't until that band ended in 2007 that, and I'd always kind of played around on guitar, but not very seriously, um, that band ended and I just kind of stepped back and thought, well, maybe music was just something I did in my early years. Maybe that was that. And it was like, as soon as I took that pressure off, mm. the floodgates opened and I really? started writing and I just thought like, oh, I'll never even play this for anyone. This is just for me. Yeah. And it got fun. Like this, you know, uh-huh. the, that, you know, that sense that you were talking about a little, a few minutes ago where maybe it's not going to be my main thing. And suddenly you're free totally. right, to do it. Yeah, less pressure sometimes opens yeah. that up. Yeah. So w- when you were writing, did you were you writing knowing that these were going to be songs, or were you just writing poems, or like what what were you writing, and and what did you? I mean, you just said you know I'm just writing this for myself. Yeah. So what we what what were you writing? What did you think they were going to be? If anything? I was, yeah, I was writing songs. I'd actually written poetry for a long time, like in high school. I used to. Write, like I knew enter, that about. I could tell that about you. Poetry competitions uh-huh. and stuff. Right. So I've always been a lover of words, and I've always been a singer. I've been singing since I was really young. Oh. But those two things never merged. Right. Uh, you know, until later, and and so yes, I was writing songs, and uh, you know, I love lyrics. So I was that that was kind of my first emphasis, and then I started taking guitar lessons so that I could grow in that direction too. Uh, alongside it and then I but I did play a show for like a year and I didn't know if I would and then my first show was an ice cream social <laughs> oh, really <laughs> for what <laughs> my friends were having uh-huh. some event I, I don't know that's cool like a private event and they asked me to play and you know I was completely and utterly terrified how nervous were you for the oh, ice cream right. social <laughs> God, so terrified what's your favorite ice cream are you, can do you enjoy ice cream i like the can you right because yeah can you yeah, enjoy I'm ice lactose, cream I'm sean lactose. is lactose intolerant yeah. i can't eat anything dairy it's really upsetting Sad. see i'm fine with cheese and all that but ice cream i just think none of us are really you know built to have that <laughs> concentration of cream cream and sugar yeah <laughs> So I enjoy it now and then. I wouldn't yeah. say it's my main. It's not your main go-to. thing. Chocolate chip cookies are my jam. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. Um, Shelby, I wanted to ask about um, writing a song, about not um, generally, but specifically when you sit down. Um, do you do you ever attempt to say, "I'm going to sit down and write a song," or does is there a moment of inspiration or a lyric that comes in, or um, a, a couple of guitar chords that changes? Is, is there a regular process, or what is it like for the moment before you actually start? something well I used to always start with lyrics always always uh, again back to that was my comfort zone mm-hmm. you know so um, I would I would actually just write stuff out you know in notebooks I'd be at coffee shops and stuff and then go back and try to work out melodies that's usually second and then sort of learn it on my guitar mm-hmm. um, that has definitely changed through the years because now I love playing the guitar and so now and, and I had a great teacher along the way who said, listen, if you're practicing and a song idea comes, follow the song mm-hmm. idea. Forget practice. Like, cool. go with it. And that happens a lot now where, you know, I'm just like, oh, that's kind of a cool little part. Like you were saying, a couple cool chords or uh-huh. whatever. And then I'll start singing to it. Um, there are the few lucky moments. I just had one a few months ago that had a song idea sort of in the car, like a lyric idea. 
and I drove to Olympia and back. And by the time I was back, the whole thing was done. The whole and song. I just, I mean, the whole melody and the oh, lyrics. Wow. Just iPhone. Oh, note, iPhone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. iPhone note. And I. Was Do you like, have that on you right now? Whoa. Probably, I'm not. <laughs> You're not gonna play that. that? Right. Oh no. I don't know. I really wanted to hear but that. I do. I've got like hundreds of uh-huh. voice notes. Wow. I probably do. Yeah. So I was talking uh, with Erin Austin recently, yes. right? She's in a great band called OK Sweetheart. She essentially is the band. Um, but she was talking about how she will um, just write and write and just. You know, if you want to hone your craft, you have to do it, and you have to just do it all the time. So she writes, she voice records if she has an idea in the car. And um, so you have then, I imagine, like you just said, tons and tons of, like, words and sentences and poems and things. So if you're writing a song, and she was saying that she had an entire song just about finished, but she needed, like, the chorus, right? Yeah. And she was flipping through her old books of notes and words, and she was like, let me try these four words. And then she slipped it into the song, and then it just totally worked. So do you do you do that as well? Uh, do you sort of, if you're having trouble, do you look through your old writings and just search for something that could work? Or do you just wait until it just sort of, co- something new comes to you? Both. I don't, I don't so much hunt and peck through old stuff to solve a current song, but I, a few times, more than a few times, I've gone, looked back through notebooks and gone, whoa, that second half of that second verse is actually a chorus. Mm-hmm. That was the only interesting idea mm-hmm. in that whole thing I wrote. And sometimes you need perspective and time. But, you know, I, I, I've i taught a couple, like, lyric writing classes in the last few years, and I'm like, write everything down and don't judge it mm-hmm. while you're writing That's it. So, it's so hard to do. It's hard to it do. It seems like the easiest thing to do, but it's mm-hmm. so hard to do because – when you want to, when you sit down and write, you almost want to be like, "I just did it. I I have the song or the poem or the story." Right. And then, but the idea of perspective is so important. Perspective, and then, and so every, you know, there have been a couple times, like for instance, I had uh, this painting of a, a a girl sort of in sitting in fetal position, and she was painted blue, <clears throat> and I kept thinking of the blue girl, that line, the blue girl, mm. but I didn't know who the blue girl was or what I wanted to say about it, <clears throat> and then like three years later something happened in my life that involved this woman who I instantly went, oh my God, she's the blue girl. And suddenly I had something to say, but I had written, I had tried to write that multiple times. And I, that just, that little short phrase kept meaning something to me, but I couldn't land. So that's one thing that happens, um, you know, and then there is the just, having to slog through stuff sometimes. I have a song right now that I love the melody, I love the chord structure, I love the, you know, the rhythmic feel of it. Mm-hmm. This is one of the new ones. And I just can't quite bring it home lyrically. Mm-hmm. And so I'm just being patient because I think it's worth something. That's the other thing. Sometimes you'll have an idea like, I believe this one is worth something, but I it's just not there That's yet. That's got to be frustrating, too. And you'd know this, too, Jake. I mean, you write poetry, uh, right. really good poetry. and Really, really good. Really, really, really good. <laughs> I would like to see, I would really like to see good. some Sure, I'll send okay. you some. Um, and, well, and um, listen to any Glass Notes because uh, that's a band that is still sort of yes. around of yours. Associated with. Jake um, has written all the lyrics for that record, and Rob Benson uh, turns all of his poems into music. And I love Rob Benson, yeah, and he's, he's he's done that model for a while. Yeah, he? that's sort of his thing, and it worked really well love for it. us. Yeah, yeah but I'm glad you know about him. That's, a, that's oh, awesome. Oh, that guy. Yeah. yeah. That's like the most talented dude in Seattle, 
Yeah. I mean, writing songs. Let's save that clip for him because he will love that. <laughs> Truly, <laughs> yeah. that totally. guy's bonkers. Yeah. I've been a fan of his, and I used to book him at EMP. Oh, okay, was, cool. When I booked shows uh-huh. there, yeah. That's so cool. Yeah, I just saw him play this weekend with Julia Massey at the Homestead in uh-huh. Ballard, which was like four blocks from my house. It was, was it? It was great. Uh, that's why I went. No. Uh, because... <laughs> <laughs> I just stumbled there. I don't even know what I was doing. <laughs> he was fantastic. But um, it must be frustrating to know that you have something or just. And then it's just not coming, right? And you just have to. What's well, like, that wait. idea of time? Yeah. Like, yeah. Because as we get older, <laughs> I, <laughs> was, no I was talking about chat. this last night. Um, yeah. <laughs> speaking of which, uh, um, getting older is great for me. I think, and just sort of in general. But then there's the line like, "But we have less and less time on the back end, right?" So it's like I like where I where I'm at, like physically and mentally now. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, but there's less and less time approaching, you know, at right. the end. And so the idea of writing, like taking your time and, and working over something, there's a great benefit to that and a great joy in the process of that. But then the frustrating part, which I think Sean is talking about, is that what if I don't get to finish it? Or like, yeah. um, this is this is t- the take time I'm spending working on this song, say, uh, it means I will have fewer songs perhaps in the future. I mean, you don't really know. Are you saying like, I might good... die before I finish this song? That <laughs> <laughs> you'll probably die before you finish this Are song. Are you planning God. on murdering okay. Shelby Earl? I, know, I, thought, I thought I'd take the, the interview to a little bit of a darker place. Um, <laughs> I'm cold, Jake. <laughs> <laughs> but I don't know. I, I think about this quite a bit, uh, the idea that there's less and less time and yeah. how that affects yeah. the making process, the, yeah. the work, the creating songs. Um, so I'm you know, wondering about your process as a songwriter when considering that in your silent, deep, dark moments. <laughs> yeah, well, that's where, you know, having to force yourself to be patient is important because I I feel the pressure for sure. People, I have a lot of people who are like, you're so brave, you're so bold. And I'm like, no, I just don't have time to mess around. Like, I'm not 20, so no, I'm not going to sit around and hope that some people hear my music like I actively go I tour and I go make sure that I'm doing everything I can do to make this viable you know have a fun life and to do what you want to to do to really do it like nobody gets anywhere by waiting yeah right and maybe it is the maybe you know I do that because I had the other perspective I sat at a desk and went yeah. My life is passing me by and it is not looking like what I imagined and it's getting smaller and smaller and smaller. Like yeah. my world felt like it was shrinking and I just thought that's no way. Like mm-hmm. that can't be the story. So I actively try to make sure How does it feel now? Does it still feel shrinking or does it feel no. expanding? Oh, it's expanding. Right. I mean like it is the opposite uh-huh. of that. But, you know, and there's nothing wrong with a desk job. You know, I have friends who sometimes are like, hey, <laughs> what's wrong with my job? I'm like, you know what? Nothing. As long as you feel good right. and you're still doing the things you're passionate about, maybe that's at work, maybe it's not. Doesn't Those don't always have to line up. But I just felt like I was caving in, right. you know. It was not, yeah. not cool. So I had to, I had to change it up. Um, I think we should listen to a little bit of Shelby's music. I would um, love that. Um, I want to play um, a song from Swift Arrows called uh, Sea of Glass. All right. Does that sound okay? Yeah, do it. I've received your invitation.
think it's amazing that um, you have such a great voice and such a great songwriting presence and you thought that you wouldn't be able to do it or that you probably felt that those muscles were weak and that you couldn't express yourself yeah. through music it's on your really own. so good. Yeah. This is why people who want to try it should try it. And, you know, we all have stuff that happens through the years. People who maybe tell you you're not a thing. You know, I in my old band partnership, I had someone say to it, some a mentor of mine say, I mean, this isn't a Beatles situation. It's not like the, it's, the, this isn't like a John and Paul. John and Paul are like one person in this band. And literally he was like, there is a generative artist here and an interpretive artist. And like what I was the I was the interpretive artist. How wow. nurturing. I mean, but he had a very academic mind and so he just sort of puts things in categories. And but people feel comfortable doing that. They totally. like separating, yeah. And they want to know they want to tell you what you're good at. Mm -hmm. And you know, so I've had that a lot, you know, a lot through the years. Like, you're a singer. Right. That's what you do. Please let me understand you that way. And then it, it is unnerving for people when you start to do other stuff. What was the, what was the best piece of advice you've gotten? Ooh. Uh, you know, actually, um, my ex-boyfriend, Saul, said, you know how you do this, Shelby? You know how you be a songwriter for life? You never go away. <laughs> you refuse to go away. That, that is good advice. Yeah, that really is. And it's so true because, you know, I've had many moments over the last five years, which is how long I've been doing this full time now, where I'm like, oh man, maybe this sign, you know, maybe things I'm not supposed to be. If you follow those moments of defeat, mm -hmm. you're cooked. You've got to push through. Yeah. Or, you know, even right now where I'm like, I don't know how to make this record. And it feels a little paralyzing. Well, who cares? I mean, I won't yeah. even remember you'll, having felt this way. You'll find a way. I'll find a way. And then when the record's made, this will have not mattered. This couple of months yeah. that feels like, <gasps> I don't know what to do now. Yeah. Um, so uh, that advice was really great. And he's not even a songwriter, but he's right. <laughs> what, what what style do you think you want your new record to be in? I'm just, in my head, I'm yeah. like going like going through the Rolodex of like producers that I know. I'm like, not that, Please do. Yeah, <laughs> I, I'm interested in seeing like, if I can match it up, but just in my own head. Of like, well, and you know, there's a chance I might work with Damien again. Mm -hmm. um, there, There's a model that is being sort of discussed, and but... Also, he's crazy on the tour or on the road all the time on tour. So I don't know if we'll be able to make it line up. But um, I mean, there's so many great people that it is. That's part of what has me paralyzed. Mm -hmm. I'm like, oh, I don't know. I could do it that way. But what I imagine. Well, I'll tell you right now who I went after. Mm. Now I feel like I can say it because I don't think it's we've gotten happening. to know each other. <laughs> yeah, I mean, fine. this is the yeah. safe zone now. <laughs> but now I don't think it's happening. Mm. So I mean, I hope I should. I hope I'm not cursing it. But I tried to get Jeff Tweedy to produce oh. it, and I really tried. Mm -hmm. Like I, we got to the management. We got through the management. We got the demo to Tweedy. Mm -hmm. The management was digging all of it, and then uh, now it's this been very quiet oh wow <laughs> and last so, so i heard still a possibility maybe. yeah and yeah. i mean maybe like someday and i told <laughs> the last thing i told them was i'll be on a plane tomorrow if right. i don't care if it's a song i will seriously get on a plane tomorrow mm -hmm. yeah have you, if he has one day i'm there have you thought about having like your songs being produced by multiple people i mean is that yeah. in, of interest to you absolutely that's that's a definite possible model i have eric blood in mind which, oh. which, which, <gasps> Which I think would be totally different. Yeah, but it I, would. We've discussed him yeah. actively. We being my bandmates and I. Yeah, I love that guy. Yeah, and Eric I is a really sweet person. So respect his work. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Because in, in a way, like you have, um, 
I don't know. I don't just to be quick about it, like a, a sort of a folk sensibility, and there's like a, yeah. like the guitar and the acoustic guitar is sort of very present, um, or at least at least on Swift Arrows. Yeah. But to subvert that sounds interesting, um, yeah. and I, I think he would have enough care uh, to not be generic and s- sort of yeah. um, and toss it off in a way that was uh, boilerplate, but that he would like take the time and like see like, well, what is the, where can we meet in the middle on this? I think you're absolutely right, and that's why we've talked about him is like, what if we got super sort of experimental with this? And I go back and forth because on the other hand, I had someone just say to me, someone I really trust who's kind of been an advisor through the years and he heard a few of the demo songs and he said they're really strong you know what i want is someone who's not gonna fill up all that space right like someone who will just get the best possible performance out of you well what's interesting is um admittedly i haven't heard your first album i don't know why i haven't but i haven't that's all right um so so swift arrows almost feels like a debut to me sure um especially working with damien and especially because all the songs are so strong and there's that idea that um, for someone's second album, I know that's not your second one, but for someone's second album, you go in a very drastic change yeah. so that you show the the extremes that you can do. And then yeah. so that your following albums can have a place in between. Yeah. I think of that. Like people talk about the, the sophomore slump because the right. sophomore record is, isn't ever as good. So I think people have changed that model by going completely in the other direction of what the major release was. Right. So that you can have space in between. So uh, that's one reason why Eric Blood. Well, the good, here's the good news and the bad news about that, Jake. <laughs> uh-huh. I don't have a million people who will be disappointed if I do something different. <laughs> I don't want to hear you talk like that, Charlie. There's going to be a lot of people. I've got a couple of thousand people. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Well, ish. There's room. There's, you know, a lot more ears to uh, be interested. It's so, like, I don't know. I, when I first started playing music with Rob, um, this is about four or five years ago, of course I had, like, the, we're going to be famous. Like, yeah. we're going to have a million whatever. And then as you do it, it's not, it's not like a lowering the bar, but it's just a realization that, like, there's, like, ten people in the world who get that million whatever. And and do you really want that? Like, right. Um, because a lot goes wrong. I mean, we just—I just saw the Kurt Cobain documentary, just as one example of someone whose life just completely goes to shit after he right. becomes famous. And so that's why I'm like, I don't want to hear you talk like that, Shelby, no. because uh, no. And I do I'm not aiming for some crazy superstardom. I've been super clear from the beginning that what I want is sustainability. Exactly. Yeah. I really do, and I want people to care about the songs. That's what I want. <laughs> like, yeah. And I want to be able to do it forever. Like, I feel like I'm a lifer, you yeah. know? So so each record has to build mm-hmm. the operation, mm-hmm. but it doesn't have to be a firestorm, you uh-huh. know? <laughs> like, I mean, a firestorm would be a wild ride, but it's not, that's not the main focus. I just want to make good records. Burn the boats. That's something that your dad said, right? That's a quote that he sort of, it, it, it's a quote that means just risk everything. Yeah, right. my stepdad. Well, he said it. Um, and that's also the name of your first record. Right. So explain Burn the Boats and where that comes from. And, and Yes. Well, I was about probably nine months into making the record. So, you know, a few months into working with John and um, ran out of money. And I was like, okay, whoa, this gets real very fast. <laughs> and I called my parents. And this is one of those dark times that you have to push through. Were you thinking about death a lot at this time? <laughs> yes. <laughs> Great. <laughs> so I called my mom and I said, maybe I've made a mistake. Like, I'll probably have to get a job. I don't know. She said, well, here's the thing. We're so proud of you, Shelby. And just the other day, someone asked how you were doing and your stepdad looked at them and she said, Shelby's doing great. 
she pulled all the boats ashore and she burned them. Wow. Ooh. And he was all fired. My mom was like, it was so cute. He was so proud. And I didn't know the reference, but the reference is to Cortez, who made his own army burn their ships when once they pulled ashore so that they couldn't retreat from battle. Wow. Only going forward. Wow. It's so into, I have goosebumps every time I talk that's, about it. Uh-huh. That's a great, great thing to have your dad or stepdad yeah, say. Yeah, and yeah. thankfully all four of my parents have that same attitude. You yeah. know, they're, anytime I kind of go uh, and waver, they all say, no, no, it's no, so there's, a way, there's like a way, there's a way. It's a very like, poetic thing that he said too. Very. Oh, how's she doing? Oh, she pulled all of her boats to shore and mm-hmm. she burned them. Right? Like, I know. Did He's that got make a it poet's in, heart. <laughs> yeah. Did that like line make it into uh, your... Anywhere in Burn the Boats on the on the record. So what happened was is I that day wrote the song Burn the Boats, oh. but the record was tracked. We we were done tracking. We we had already started mixing basically, and so I went over to my friend Reagan's. I, I don't know if you guys know Reagan Crow. He had a great band called Shim. <clears throat> they rocked. Oh, Shim. I've oh, heard yeah. of Shim. Are they Rock still around? music, man. No, not well. I mean, they all still exist and play music, but the band is is no more. And uh, and I went over to Reagan's just like garage studio and we tracked an acoustic version of it. And I really only liked the very end. So the only thing that made it on Burn the Boats, the album, uh-huh. is the outro. And so I had never, it was total false advertising because yeah. I play the full song live all the time. And I had never released the full song until this year. I just released it, or 2014. We released the full version. The full song yeah. of Burn the Boats. Of Burn the Boats, yeah, on London Tone. London Tone Music did that 52 and 52 thing. I don't oh, know yeah. if you guys got hip to that. Right, yeah, totally. Yeah. Amazing. Um, really, you guys, really amazing. amazing. Can we play her song, The Artist, as we uh, uh, finish up here? I put that song on a mixed CD for my girlfriend. <gasps> nice. Mm-hmm. How'd she take that? I she love loved you. It. You love you, too. Um, She... Uh, she loved the song, and she I think I think because we were going to um, Anacortes to do something or going on a ferry or something like that, and I think she requested that I put some on there. Oh, we were both very happy that it was on the mix. Oh, she's a big like Nico Case fan, um, uh, first aid kit, things like that. And oh. so yeah, I have to tell you though, people always ask me who this is about. Mm-hmm. They think that there's some you know sinister story, but it's about me. Mm. It's poking a little fun at myself. Oh. <laughs> Inside information. Inside information. is a song from her album, Shelby Earl's record, Swift Arrows. Uh, Jake, are we wrapping it up here? We're wrapping it up. Wrapping it up like a Christmas present. Uh-huh. Or a Hanukkah present. Or like a vegetable you want to save and you put it in the fr- refrigerator with like saran Or like like a tamale. Wrap. Or like um, a hip-hop producer. Wrapping it up. <laughs> Shelby, this has been absolutely fantastic. We really appreciate you coming out. Thanks, you guys. Thanks for having me. Mm-hmm. ShelbyEarl.com. Listening to the Monarch Review podcast. <laughs> sure. <laughs> I remember awesome. when you used to share the music.